And we're talking about influence today. This is what we're talking about. Look, the five most influential people in your life. This is going to be so much fun today because I, I kind of offended some people last week, and I'm glad I did. Because I, I said this, I said, look, here's the truth. Most of us think it's Jesus. If you're a Christian, a Christians run around and say, Jesus is the most influential person in my life. Let's be truthful. Now, I told you that I put these in order of precedence. And so last week I said, no, the most influential person in your life is you. Now, we want Jesus to be, but the truth is the person looking at you in the mirror is the person, right, who has the ability to say yes to Christ or no to Christ. I purposely, here's the good news today. You got a lot of the sermon just before communion. Amen, hallelujah, you're looking at the clock going, man, this guy's got to smoke it, right? But the truth is, the truth is you got most of the message there because here's where we want to be as Christians. As Christians, we really want Jesus to be the most influential person in our life. So we say it like this, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know that Jesus, he said, hey, it's to your advantage that I go so that I will leave the Holy Spirit with you. So that the Spirit here will be left with you inside of you and will direct your paths the way they should be directed. He will be the greatest influence in your life. That's what God desires for each one of us. It's interesting to me because as we look at culture, we have a lot of what we, we used to call them cultural Christians and then it, it changed and it went to casual Christians and then a song came out, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a casual Christian. Any of y'all remember that? <laughs> I'm telling you, music's a lot better today. <laughs> just, heads up, right? Right? We, and, and I don't want to live an ordinary life. And, and so the truth is, is we need to move number two, who is Jesus, to number one in our life. So if we're truthful about ourselves, we, we always set parameters or limits on what Christ or the Holy Spirit can do in our life. We say, hey, I don't believe that, or we can't take it that far, or, or really is he my influence? And so what happens is the person looking at you in the mirror has the power to say yes or no to what God wants to do in your life. So it takes a yielded spirit, it takes an encounter with Christ, it takes an understanding of Christ to be influenced by Him and to move Him from number two to number one in our lives. And that's called discipleship. As we grow in Christ in our understanding, here's what happens, is we, we begin to understand and we begin to, to know His ways, to see things as He sees them, and to be moved according to his influence so number two will move to number one look if you're a christian today as a babe in christ it's just like a baby growing up right they they cry because it's all about them and early on it's all about you you need jesus as a savior we've we've said it we do it we practice it we promote it promote him in our lives but but as we grow, what you will see is the greatest among you will become the servant of all. That basically what happens is our story will intertwine with his story, and who gets the glory is Christ, not us. And that's how he grows us up. So today, just let me give you some statistics. This is Christianity in America today. Forty percent of Christians don't believe that Satan is a real being, much less ever was. Kind of vulnerable there. 22% believe that Jesus sinned. 
almost a quarter of professing Christians, and you're going to find out why that cannot be a truth in your life as a Christian in just a moment. 38% don't believe that the Holy Spirit is a living entity. 38%, almost 40%, this is Barna Research, by the way, not something I threw together. 29% of Christians say their faith has been helpful, but watch this, not transformational. We've got to address this. If he's, if he's not been transformational, then who is the influence in your life? These are professing Christians, people that were, that were surveyed. They're not just average folks on the street. They, they profess to be Christians, and then they ask them specific things about their belief system. I, I love what the Apostle Paul said. He says this in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The, the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In other words, my greatest influence in life is Christ. So how do we get to this place where greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world? How do we get to that place, church? we got to know there's got to be some things we can practice. Let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to jump right in here and look at Revelation chapter 5. This will get your attention. So here is John. John is, I would say he's sequestered, right, on an island in Patmos. Criminals, other people were uh, sent out to this place. And the scripture says that he was caught up in the spirit and he was told to write these things down. And here's what he says. He says, I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open or break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open or to even look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book. Or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and a gold golden bowl of incense or golden bowls of incense which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song saying worthy are you to take the book and break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe tongue people and nation and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth have we seen it yet are we reigning upon the earth See, I believe God has called us to that place where he is our greatest influence, where we truly will reign. You know, growing up, my best friend, his name's Stanton. Won't give his last name. Y'all might figure him out. Honorary, golly, man, I can just tell stories. And he comes to town every Christmas, and we sit for about two hours recounting or recanting all the things that we grew up doing. And then we repent for the next hour, Right? <laughs> 
But one of the things about Stanton is he raised show lambs. And, and every time I stayed with him, we'd have to get up early, like at 5 o'clock in the morning, and go out and feed these lambs and do all the chores and this kind of thing. I finally got wise to it and quit staying the night with him. But until then, we would go out and do these things. And then he would show these sheep, of course, through 4-H and FFA. And one year I, I asked Dad, I said, Dad, I said, can I show a lamb this year? We'd always shown pigs, swine, proper term, right? For those of you who think pigs stink. And this is what my dad said, and I never forgot it. He said, Curtis, he said, sheep are born looking for a place to die. That's what he said. In other words, harsh weather conditions, if anything happens, they, they get sick, if they get cut, whatever it is, they, they tend to die. Lambs don't stand as though they have been slain, folks. It doesn't happen, but this lamb is a lamb that is overcome. This lamb is a lamb who has bled completely out. This lamb is sustained by, by God himself, by God the Father. This lamb stands and he bears the scars, the rips, the tears, the brutality that happened to his body, yet he is alive and he is standing. And that's how John sees him. This is the picture that he gets. You know, Peter tells us this, that life is futile. Paul speaks about the futility of the mind, that there are sin. He, he writes a couple of different times in Scripture, really probably three different times. He writes a sin list. The reason the lamb is standing is because three days after he was slain, his heart began to beat again. He came to life. And he still bears the scars that were placed upon him. But he did that because sin had entered the world and there needed to be some type of sacrifice given in order for us to be reconciled to our Heavenly Father. And so this is, this is basically what happens. We all know that we have fallen short of the glory of God. You know that, I know that, I don't have to convince you. Paul, in, in his list, he, he includes these things. The list includes, but not limited to, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. What? We'll read that one twice. Disobedient to parents. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Here's the deal. The heart of man is evil outside of transformation. The Scripture even says that. Look, have you ever done anything on that list? If you haven't, I've got three others. It's, it's amazing to me that Jesus, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in, him, believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life, have life with Him. A price had to be paid. And because He paid the price, He should be our greatest influence. We should always say the words, yes and amen to our God. I read a book this summer. It was called Empire of the Summer Moon. Any of you ever read it? You bunch of sinners. I'm just kidding. Good. Right? It's called Empire of the Summer Moon. And basically, it's, it's on Kiwana Parker, but it's on the Comanches. And, and let me just tell you some things. Watch. Tell me how this makes you feel. Some of you have been to therapists. No, how does that make you feel? What's bubbling up right there? Right? What is that? 
I don't know, I'm paying you to tell me what. Anyway, right? But watch this. Here, here are the Comanches. As you read this book, this is what you'll find out. They love to torture people. And they look for new ways to torture people. Now, if you have Comanche in your heritage or in your background and this offends you, good. Because I'll offend everybody before the day's out. Just stay with me, all right? White man, it's coming. But here's what they would do. One of the, one of the stories talks about cutting the pads off the feet of their enemy, meaning that it's like cutting the sole off of your boot. They would cut the pads off the feet of people and they would, they would, they would lure them out 50 miles from somewhere and, and they would have to walk to get water or food. It was just a form of torture. They would shoot hundreds of arrows into pregnant women. They, they used to call this porcupining them. They'd cut hands off. They would cut heads off. They would disembowel. They would scalp. Well, that's, that's what we thought. That's all they did, right? Just cut a little hair off and call it good. Now, that sounds terrible. I'm telling you, if people are left in their sin nature, sin, sin equals death. It continues to roll up and roll out worse and worse things and deeds. Now watch. We would call that a savage act. Matter of fact, they got the term savages. But look, did you know many of the settlers were doing the same thing? It's amazing to me as you read the book. There was even a Methodist pastor. His name's Colonel John Shivington. And during the massacre at Sand Creek in November of 1864, an estimated 70 to 163 peaceful Cheyenne Arapaho, about two-thirds of whom were women, children, and infants, they were killed and mutilated by his troops. Methodist pastor who claimed to be influenced by who? Himself or Jesus. Which one was it? Shivington took his men. They took scalps and other parts as battle trophies including human fetuses and male and female genitalia. You see what I'm saying? No one's without excuse. Sin equals death. And someone had to pay that price for us. We all need a Savior. We all run the risk of being influenced by the wrong spirit or the things of the flesh. Jesus died and was raised three days later, not only for our forgiveness, watch, but for our influence, for our transformation, to be influenced by Him. A little bit of history about God. The Jews celebrate something known as Yom, Yom Kippur. Yeah. I'm not Jewish. But I know the history of it. See, they had this Day of Atonement. And that's known as Yom Kippur. And it's the most holy day of worship. It was a great celebration. And it's one day of the year the high priest would enter the most holy place in the tent of meeting. And he would present a sacrificial blood offering of goats, bulls, and heifers. The high priest sprinkled blood on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And, and he, would, he would sprinkle it around there because it was shown to be cleansing for the people, for the Israelites. And it would atone for the sins of Israel. And then he sprinkled it throughout the tent meeting, the outer room as well. Two goats would be taken. Sins would be confessed over both on behalf of the people. One goat would be released into the wilderness. The other one would be slaughtered. The, the truth in this is that confession took place over both. Sin continued to live, but blood needed to be shed for all of it. 
Hebrews 9, as a matter of fact, I would just encourage you, if you want some history and a, and a great summary of this, read Hebrews 9 and 10 this week. That'll bring you on board. Hebrews 9, 3 says this, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifer sprinkling to those who have been defiled sanctify the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works and serve the living God. If you're going to serve something, it means that something is going to have the most influence in your life. So he's saying, let God influence you and be your influence. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he who knew no sin became sin so that we might what? Become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's what he said. He made him who knew no sin an unblemished, perfect lamb knew no sin he became sin so that me so that we so that me so that i might become the righteousness of god in christ jesus it's not a righteousness of my own that i have it's a righteousness of christ how do we do this the first thing i would tell you we say this all the time in harvest we say connect grow and serve connect grow and serve the first way to be influenced by jesus is to begin to connect with him you grew up in West Texas. You grew up in the Presbyterian, the Methodist, the Episcopal, the Lutheran, the Baptist, the, the, the non-denominated. You grew up in church. And you said, man, I, I went to church camp and I accepted Jesus as my Savior. Well, let me ask you this question. Is he your influence? Because we tend to think we're right just because we grew up doing the right things possibly or we have just enough Jesus that we haven't killed someone. I love the way Jesus takes all of those laws and just takes them further. If you slander someone with your speech. <gasps> but we didn't do that. Right? If you even look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. Everyone has sin in their life and there is no end to sin. If you are being influenced by the devil himself, by Satan himself, there's no end to that except for death. And something had to intercede. Something had to change that influence, that sin nature within us. And it's Jesus. And so the first thing we do is connect with Him. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, it says this, you shall be saved. But then Romans 10, 10 takes it one step further. He says, look, you need to be influenced by that. For with the heart a person believes. So you believe this deep down in your heart, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. You begin to walk with your Lord, humbly with your Lord, and be influenced by him. So we connect to that. If you're going to be influenced, you need to connect to your influencer. That's the way it works. Connect, grow. Discipleship is all about growth. It amazes me that, that people have an experience with Jesus and all of a sudden they're the, most ex, they're, they're the most experienced one. Let me say this, they're the most mature one because they had this experience. Let me tell you about your experience. It was necessary for salvation. But discipleship is a process. And it's a process of being fed the right things and growing and sitting at the table with Jesus and listening to Him and listening to His ways and beginning to become influenced by him grow in that jesus said this he didn't say go and get everyone saved he said go and make disciples because i need to be their influence 
That's what will make the difference in the world. Discipleship is a process, folks. Yes, it starts with an experience of discovery, of understanding that, hey, Jesus died for me and I can be cleansed from all unrighteousness. It's not a righteousness of my own, but the robe of righteousness I have was given to me through the shed blood of a lamb, of the lamb, a perfect spotless lamb. Now, Jesus wants us to take that further. I used to ask this question. Uh, we had a membership class in... Uh, Wolforth, where I used to pastor, and, and as people came into membership, I, used to, I, used, I had two questions. I said, uh, and I didn't need dates. I wanted testimony. But I said, uh, when did Jesus become your Savior? And some of them, you know, oh, June 21st, 1963. Da-da-da-da-da. Awesome, cool, hang on to that. Some say, I really don't know, but I, I believe in Him, and He's my Savior. Good, awesome, hang on to that. But then I would ask this question, when did he become your Lord? Well, he's my Lord. In other words, when did he become your influence? When did you become a disciple? When did your tracks start lining up with the tracks of his? And follow him and grow in him and be made different because you are following. See, that's all growth. Hebrews 10, 12, I tell people all the time, hey, get in the word of God. Learn it. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, or marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart, that it digs deep within us. And I love this because Jesus says something about the Scriptures. He says, you read the Scriptures because in them you think there is salvation. And he's given them a caution. What they do is do what? They point you to him where salvation happens. And as we continue to read and learn and grow in him and pray and do the things that, that really connect, grow, and, and, and take us to another level with him, here's what happens, church, is we become discipled and he is our major and most major influence. We go, we move him from number two to number one. And then finally, the way to know this is to serve. To serve! Wake up! I'm not telling you to do these things to be holy. I'm telling you that, that God wants you to see people as worthy people of servanthood. That you would actually try to serve a world that desperately needs Christ to lead them in. You see, it's amazing to me. It would be several years later before people realized Indians, Native Americans... However you want to put it, our people. And what happens is, is we begin to see people as God sees them in a valuable way. For God so loved, loved the world that He gave His Son to the world that none would be lost. Learn to serve. Serve God. Serve the vision. Serve one another. Learn to serve. It's transformational. See, it's amazing to me. Jesus is seen as the Lamb bearing the scars that were placed upon Him for the sins of the world, for His love for us. And look, do you understand? Rick Warren says it this way. Do you understand that that changed everything? Even if you don't believe it, it still changed everything. From B.C. to A.D., the calendar's been changed. 
Right? Jesus never wrote anything down, yet there are more books written on him by far than any other subject in the world. He never composed a song, but there is more music written about Jesus than any other subject. He never sculpted or drew any pictures, but there's more art about Jesus than any other subject in history. Jesus never traveled more than a hundred miles from home, from where he was born, from Bethlehem, and yet you can find followers of Jesus in every nook and cranny of this planet. See, you've got to challenge your own belief system. You've got to look at yourself and say, hey, who influences me? Is it Christ? Am I connected? Am I growing? Am I serving? Because it makes no difference. Fact is fact. Jesus did these things. He's real. He's true. And maybe this morning, you need to experience Him for the first time and find your salvation. I pray for you. I pray for you this morning. And maybe you're someone sitting out there saying, you know, I'm a Christian, but I don't know that I'm really influenced by Christ. That's what he desires for you. The greatest impact and influence on this world will always be Jesus. I ask you today, is he your greatest influence? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for... Lord, even just thinking of this series, I, you were challenging me with it first. Up in the mountains, just speaking to my heart. What's influencing you, Curtis? Are you following the Prince of Peace? If you are, truly, then His peace should be upon you. Father, I thank you for these words. They are yours. I know your seed's been sown, and so, Lord, I just pray for those who need prayer. That, Father, truly, they would find you here today and have their experience. And discipleship would happen from hereafter, God, forever. In Jesus' name.